Hi, and welcome to the Vine Community Church Podcast. We hope that what you're about to hear will help you to flourish in God's grace and bear fruit through loving God, loving each other, and loving our community. Hey, hey, welcome to the Vine. Uh, My name's John Adams, lead pastor here. Uh, We are so glad you're joining us. We're in a series from Ephesians chapter 5 and chapter 6. And we're looking at that idea of family matters through God's wonderful word. So we're really glad you're here in person. Some of you guys are coming back. Thank you for being here. A few of you saw some new faces. Thank you for joining us today. And and, uh, whether you've been here or not, thank you for uh, just your focus on wanting to really know more about the word of God and and the God of the word. So, uh, so I also just want to welcome you who are online. Thanks for being here. Bless you guys wherever you, you are and watching this today. So uh, as uh, we come to uh, the, the, the uh, message this morning, I read a, a Wall Street Journal article entitled, The Strain That COVID Pandemic Is Putting on Marriages. And it says it talks about just the struggles And Courtney Wessling was interviewed and she said, we have a strong marriage, uh, but this has not been easy. She and her husband of seven years, Mike, have spent the recent months negotiating new workspaces in their home, as well as childcare for their sons who are ages three and five. Uh, And before uh, routines gave them kind of their own separate lives, she said, and something to come home to and talk about while eating dinner or after putting the kids to bed. That that time was together, but now she says, now I don't have that time with my husband. And she said, everything is harder. And uh, the husband, Mr. Wessling, uh, agreed. He said in a recent heart-to-heart with his wife, he said, I'm doing my best and it feels like my best isn't very good right now. Anyone feel like that? You know, you're doing your best and your your best isn't really, uh, it doesn't feel really good right now. You know, uh, know, some of you are flourishing right now in your families and in your marriages and life is just sailing along and you're loving this extra time. But I know so many people who, because of just all that's going on in our country and COVID, there's a lot of struggle. And, and if you've had struggle before this pandemic, I mean, it's sort of amplified within it. And so today we want to look at God's word and in Ephesians 5, beginning in verse number 31. Before we do, I just want to review for you where we've been in this series. Remember that week one, we looked at submission is for everyone. Uh, and we all have our roles to play in our family. Week two, we looked at husbands loving their wives and wives submitting to your husbands and what that meant. And then last Sunday, Pastor Tim taught our children to honor and obey their parents because it's hard to do that, but it's the right thing. So kids, uh, I'm sure you loved that message last week. And then uh, then this week, we're going to be looking at really the oneness that we find in our God and how do we actually, in, how do we really tap into that oneness and, and then grow in oneness in our marriages and in every relationship? 
So let's look at God's Word today. If you, again, if you have your Bibles or your handhelds, join us because we want to get into the context of this passage. It's Ephesians chapter 5 and beginning in verse 31. This is God's Word. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. You know, as you look at verse 31, you see that word, first of all, pop. It says, therefore. And, and, and you always have to ask in the Bible again, what, why is the therefore? What is it therefore? And so we look back to verse 29, and there it says, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. You know, uh, as it says here that um, no one ever hated his own flesh, you know, most of us are pretty good at taking care of ourselves, right? First, we do pretty well at that. You know, we make sure we eat, we make sure we're clothed, we make sure we get some time. And, and yet, it's, it's um, here in this scripture, he's saying here for husbands especially, it's talking about that they are to be strengthened by Christ to care for their wives just as themselves. But you know, in, uh, just in our own abilities, in our own strengths, we're, we're going to fail with that, right? Some of you feel that, and you, you feel that, that you're not able to do that or do that consistently to nourish and cherish for your husband or wife or even your children or if you're single, to, to, to do that with your friends. And, and yet, uh, we realize from the scriptures that from the beginning that God actually did create the institution of marriage, all the way going back to Genesis chapter 2, he, our great God, decided out of his love to create marriage. Genesis 2.18 says, calls it really, it's, he looked down and saw that Adam was lonely and he created woman. And it became like a covenant, a relationship of companionship. God did the joining and he brought the woman Eve to the man Adam. And there he was fulfilled. And then they began there that first marriage established by God. And God gave this beautiful, physical, spiritual, emotional oneness because he's the creator. And, and therefore, here, Paul says we should, because of all that, what God has done, we should nourish and cherish our spouse. As, as you look at verse 31, it states... And, and looks at that whole idea of one flesh. Do you see that? And as we look at this today, we're going to see from this passage that oneness with God is the basis for oneness with each other. So, so let's dig in today and look at this, and this, look at this scripture today in this passage, what God has to teach us about this oneness with God. First of all, we see that we are to be one with one another. Verse, verse 31, Paul is quoting the most famous Old Testament passage that teaches about the marriage relationship. Genesis chapter 2, 
verse 24 and 25, which says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. You see this one out of two were created Adam and Eve were both created in the image, the very likeness of God. They were different, but they were also the perfect complement to one another. These two became one flesh. And and so the power and the ability to grow the oneness in marriage is best realized in what God has actually created. Marriage, and he did this. He brought the joining together. He created male and female, brought them together in this first and beautiful marriage. And it was perfect back then. I mean, there was perfect truth, beauty, and relationship. There was no battling about who was going to, you know, put away the dishes or do the chores. I mean, it was a perfect, blissful union in the Garden of Eden. Everything was was good. And then, you know, as you know, sin came into the world and messed everything up. And so today we ourselves are learning how do we, who are people who are in a fallen world and we're fallen, we struggle with our sin, how do we begin to see God restore not just oneness in our marriage and all our relationships, but oneness with him? And so here, uh, we see that, that there's this great covenant that God, he, he actually produces. He says marriage is that covenant of companionship. He produces it. And a covenant is an a, a agreement, promises made between one party and another, and to keep those promises and to not fail in them. And the, the great thing about our God, gang, is this. Our God never fails to keep his promises, right? He's perfect in all his ways. He is the covenant keeper to us. But we struggle. And so we fail. And in our marriages and in our parenting and in our work relationships and in all of our friendships, we struggle. And so we have to constantly come back to God's covenant keeping, his covenant of grace that he provides for us. And so, you know, too many people today, you know, in our world, you know, we act more like consumers at times, and it's easy to go there because we start getting self-focused. And what's in it for me? And this relationship's not working out so well. Or, you know, I'd kind of like something new and fresh. But God has called us once again to say, come back to him and to find his faithfulness and to trust his faithfulness. And in his faithfulness, in the oneness we find with God, we will become more and more one with one another. And so oneness is realized in marriage in two specific ways we see in verse 31. First of all, he says that, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother. This word leaving is is really talking about forsake, abandon, or leave in the lurch. It's used in different ways, but for instance, in Luke 5.28, when Jesus calls Levi or Matthew, it says there, it says, And leaving everything, he, Levi, rose and followed him. He left everything. That seems pretty extreme, right? 
But what does it mean actually to leave? And leaving means here in this passage is that we actually exalt our spouse to the, the highest priority, the greatest relationship here on this planet. And, and that we say to other relationships, we might have to reprioritize with them, right? And kind of put them in a new place when we enter into the covenant of marriage. And, and so here you, he says, leave father and mother and, and Jesus teaches the same thing, quoting Genesis 2 in, in Matthew 19.5 and Mark 10.7. He talks about that, you know, you need to have that break, clean break of the authority between parents and their child when that child becomes married. And, and if married mom and dad, if you're a mom or dad of a married child or will be, you're no longer the authority. You're now in an advisor status, right? That's what you got to give. And so realize that. Uh, I realized that pretty clearly uh, when Lizanne and I were first married. You know, we were going through some decision making and important decisions. And I, I think one time she really didn't love kind of the direction I was thinking. And so she, she went to her dad, who was like, they used to call him King Marshmallow, and uh, because he would give her almost anything. She'd go, she'd go to, um, you know, get a winter coat, and he'd give her three by three. It was just, he, he, and he loved his daughter, lavished stuff upon her, and he cared for her so well. And, and um, but... So he, she comes to her dad and starts to complain about something, some decision we were making. But he paused and he looked at her and he said this just so clearly. He said to Lizzie, he used her Italian name, Lizabeth, I gave you away. And he, didn't, he just paused. I, and then, then he said, I love you. I'm going to care for you as best I can, but you and your husband are the new family. I gave you away. Go make your decisions with him. And you see that, I love that. <laughs> Thank you, Papa Devi. And that started out our marriage in just a good way because he was modeling this very scripture and living it out, the leave Principle and the, what it's talking about is, it's it's not saying your you know, parents are not important. No, they're to be honored, as we saw last week. They're to be respected, but they are no longer your authority. Also, you know, when you be, get married, you you have to leave those even single relationships that have been your primary relationships, and maybe you've lived a little independently. Is it possible? You know, you have to consider first as the priority, your spouse, their thoughts, their ideas, their schedule, ahead of your old buddies, your Budroys, and then and all your independent living. You see, leaving is a separation from life and singlehood and relationships that had primary influence on you. It's saying, because you're trusting and saying, Christ, I'm trusting you for help. I'm going to exalt and elevate the importance of my spouse and really give them deference 
over other relationships. So that's what leave means. Secondly, it says hold fast. Look at verse 31. It says, and hold fast to his wife. And, you know, the King James uses the word, the old word cleave, and it rhymes. Leave and cleave. And, and cleave or hold fast is to cling or to be joined closely to another like glue or adhesive. It's pretty close. It's tight. Cleaving is not being clinging, but it's, it's, it's not being codependent or overly dependent on a person. But it, cleaving is really the calm assurance learning to live jointly with another person. It's really learning to grow in a, that, that new union, that oneness with this person and saying, you are my chief priority and I am now one with you. The two have become one. And so when you're cleaving to another person, you're really fighting for them. And I really appreciate that about my wife so much. She is so amazing. She fights for me. I know she's got my back. And you know, if you come at her, you know, she's kind of like with her kids. She's with me. She's a mama bear and she'll scratch your eyes out. <laughs> and yes, she'll do it for me. And I know she's got my back. And yeah, do we disagree? Do we have conversations and different opinions? Yes. She's a strong person too. And we have those conversations, though, in private, and I so appreciate the way she honors and respects me and doesn't flaunt that in front of others, and she's careful about that. And that's, that's a part of this whole idea of what, biblically, what God has called us to, to actually cleave or hold fast to our spouse and to see God do this. It's really a miraculous work of his grace. And so... Uh, here we've seen, first of all, oneness with God is the basis for oneness with each other. So be one with one another, and we're to leave and cleave to do so. But secondly, we need to be one with Christ. Look at verse 32. It says, this mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Paul is saying here in verse 32, the mystery of marriage and being one with another person is, 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 is he's saying it refers to Christ. It's a picture of Christ and his church. Those of us who know Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, and we've committed to him, and we have become a part of his body, we are, those, we are part of that church. And, and think about what it, what it took what it cost Jesus to establish our oneness with him, with God. I mean, it was amazing. Remember, we sang about it earlier. I believe in God the Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Can you explain that for me, please? I mean, the Trinity is a mystery, and it will always be, but we believe it with all our hearts. Do you not? Do you believe it with all your mind that that there is a triune God. We believe that, but we really don't get it, what that actually looks like. And God, in his eternal plan, decided because he had created us perfectly, and in the garden we had perfect truth, goodness, and beauty. Relationship between husband and wife was perfect. 
And then sin came into the world. Adam and Eve, along with us, fell into sin. And since that time, we've been ravaged in, in not just marriages and families, but throughout all of our lives because of sin. And so Jesus obeyed his, perfect, his father and came and came to this planet. He was perfect. He had, you know, he, he had, he had the perfect gated community in heaven, right? There was no sin. There was no brokenness, and yet Jesus came to this planet for us. And he came and lived life in complete obedience to his Father. He kept every promise God ever made. He kept every commandment in his word. He never failed. He was the perfect covenant keeper. And guess what the perfect covenant keeper got for this? Death. This should stagger you, even though you've heard it maybe a hundred times, maybe a thousand times. Jesus went to a cross, and he himself died, and he shed his blood. And the reason why he did it, because the Bible says we needed some, a perfect substitution for our sin. We needed someone to be a go-between before God and, and the Father and us. Because our relationship was broken and Jesus died and made, and because of his death, all of us who turn in faith and repentance and obedience to him, we, we get to know him. We get to become one with him. And that oneness is the source of how you can actually become more and more one with your spouse and with every relationship you have. This is mystical. It's, it's mysterious. It's profound, right? We don't really fully get it. But it's so true. And so today, do you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? If you don't, I just urge you to consider these amazing claims. You know, God created us to be in perfect union with him and community. He created the world for us to have relationships where there wouldn't be all the fighting, conflict, struggle, strain, disappointment, hurt, pain. I mean, he created the world with none of that. And he sent his son to, to actually rescue us from the brokenness of the sin in this world. Would you consider how much a God must love you if he did that for you? And I'd encourage you today, if you don't know Christ, Jesus, and his love that you would place, just say, Lord, today I put my faith and trust in you as I turn from my sins and my way of life. But look, look, if for you who are Christ followers, I want you to know this, that, that Jesus knew us at, at our worst, right? That was in our call to worship that Jordan read. In while we were still sinners, enemies of God, we wanted nothing to do with him. What did Christ do? Do you remember class? Christ died for us. Christ died for us while we were enemies of the cross. Who would do that for you? 
You know this if you're a Christ follower. The great, lavish, never-ending love of the great covenant keeper, our God, who is also our king, and now he's our father. Isn't this great news? You know, sort of, God, God loved you while you didn't even have your makeup on. He loved you when you had bad breath. When you had that morning hair. Oh, oh. He loved you at all times. He loved you in your deepest sin and rebellion. And loves you. And that should change us as we trust and say, God, today I want to put my faith and trust again in you. So we see that oneness uh, with God is the basis for oneness with each other. First of all, be one with one another. Then secondly, that we would see here, be one with Christ. Be one with Christ. And then thirdly, be ready for your role. You see, God's instructions for you to play, play in your family role are found in verse 33. Look at it for just a moment. It says there, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. It's as if Paul kind of turned his conversation to, to the church and the, his body and his oneness with, with us. And then he turns back and he says, oh yeah, I'm talking about marriage. That, that this is about the marriage union and covenant. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. Guys, we are to love our wives as, as ourselves. Earlier it says here in, in verse 25, husbands are instructed to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And then in verse 29 it says that we are to nourish and cherish it just as Christ does the church. I mean, who can do that? in our own strength. Who can do that in our own ability? We can't. We need God and his power and his help to do so. And wives, husbands are called to love in that way, just as himself. And wives, we're called to respect our husbands. So be ready to live out your role. And how do you do that? And here's the point. You can't do that on your own, right? You realize this, I'm going to fail. Some of you have stopped even trying because you know you've struggled with this. We need constantly, that's why this whole passage begins with verse 18 of chapter 5, that we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? That's, not, that's a mystery, but it's asking and inviting God to control you. It's saying, God... I need union with you to help with my union with every relationship. God, I'm going to believe this is a mystery, but I'm going to ask you and invite you to do this in and through me. And so verse 18 then gives us the power to, verse 21, to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And those two verses apply to every family relationship, including marriage. And if you trust your union with Christ, 
you will grow more and more in your love and your respect for your spouse. So what are some practical actions to do so? Practically, husbands, how do you love your wife as you love yourself? You know, I know what I need to do with my wife is maybe some, maybe some of you guys have this same issue. I need to practically and constantly say, you know, how am I thinking about her, Lizanne? And how am I demonstrating that I'm thinking about her? You know, I do think about her, right? But I let other things, including through the years, the church, you know, become something, I'm, my work, become something I'm thinking about. At times, I'll give you a little secret, at times even more than my wife. And I need to repent of that and say, God, I don't want to just knuckle down and try to do this on my own. I need your help. Really to love Lizanne well and to be thinking about her and demonstrating to her constantly my love for her. Secondly, any of you guys struggle with this? It's called listening and active listening. You're not really being present and with your spouse and with your wife. And what I need to do is really hear constantly, what is she saying? What does it mean? How can I respond? And I need to not just be thinking about everything else when she's talking. I need God's help. I can't do this on my own. 34 years of marriage. I'll give you a hint. I still struggle with that. I need God's help. And you do too, husbands and wives. How about you? What, what are some practical things you can do to show respect to your husband? And here's one is, I know this really encouraged me, encourage him to lead even when he does it imperfectly. Encourage him. Give him words of affirmation. And, and, and secondly, even if he's taken small steps to love you and to lead, give him lots of affirmation. I know for me, I mean, I know I'm pretty frail in that area. and I'm, I'm frailest with my wife. And I want her affirmation uh, probably more than any other human relationship. And so wives, as you affirm and, and give that kind of encouragement to your husbands, it's going it's gonna to speak volumes to him. But remember this. These could all just be Checkoffs and to-dos, and we can't do these things in our own strength. You know, and maybe you feel like today, like the guy in the article from Wall Street, my best isn't very good right now. Hey, look, you all, we've got to trust Christ and his perfect performance for us. We have to Constantly say, Lord, help me to believe the mystery of the union I have with you so I can learn and grow to have union with my spouse and with others. You see, oneness with God is the basis for oneness with others. Let's pray together, church. Lord, uh, help us, we pray. We thank you, God, for your great love for us. 
great God and King. Lord, we pray this morning. I just pray for families that are here that you would just bless and encourage and strengthen families in Jesus' name and that you would pour out your great love to to marriages. Lord, thank you for your never-failing love for us. Help us. Help us, we pray, in our union with you and others in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us for this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at thevinecc.com, download our mobile app, or visit us on Facebook or Instagram at thevinecc. Have a great week.